1: The podcast today brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. You want to bet on the Olympic uh, men's basketball team, Tommy? They're 39.5-point favorites over Iran tomorrow. They should win. I mean, Popovich hopefully hasn't had to scout Iran for two years. Uh, he scouted France, apparently, for two years and then acted like it was no big deal that they lost to him uh, the other day uh, in the Olympics. Uh, lots of baseball, plenty of NFL, plenty of UFC 265, which takes place next week. Uh, MyBookie will have it all for that UFC 265 event starting next week. Go to MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC, and they'll match your deposit halfway up to a thousand dollars how's the beach going
2: beach is fabulous great weather you know we started out in bethany uh on wednesday and then we moved our camp to wildwood crest saturday and, your, your normal uh, spot yes the whole family's down here we rented a bunch of condos all in the same area and last night we hit the dance floor at Keenan's Irish pub in North Wildwood <laughs> for our annual visit to see the Soul Cruisers.
1: The Soul Cruisers, not King Soul, That's a, the Soul Cruisers. Not King
2: Soul. This is the Soul Cruisers. Okay. They're a pretty big band up and down the Jersey shore. They play like you know, every night of the week at some different location. Right. And they you know they play my kind of music, Wilson Pickett. Uh, things like that. They they didn't ask me to get up and sing "Knock on Wood" with them, uh, so I, did. I didn't have that opportunity.
1: Well, that, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good thing. Um, you sound like you have a cold now. I know you were feeling like a cold was coming on. You now uh, officially sound like you have a cold.
2: Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And it's not not fun to have a cold when you're on vacation. But uh, I'm a make the most of it kind of guy.
1: yeah yeah not not always but um when in rome and you are on vacation uh let's go for it especially when you have a granddaughter that is probably very active and um and wants to do a lot of things all right um let let's get to sports to start the show because they're You know, in the last 24 hours, first of all, first day of training camp for your Washington football team. I think most people know know that down in Richmond. Boy, you miss Richmond, don't you? (laughs) Yes, I sure
2: do. I will bet there's thousands of people lining up to get in.
1: I'll bet you they have
2: crowd control issues down
1: there. You know what? It's not going to be surprising to me if they have a decent crowd in Richmond. I think there is more optimism for this team than there's been in a long, long time. We've talked about that a lot. The news items of the last, you know, 24 hours related to the Washington football team is they got John Allen signed to an extension. This is something I talked about probably four or five months ago that I thought it would be done by the beginning of camp. Um, he signed a seventy two million dollar contract extension, 30 million of it guaranteed four year deal, puts his average annual in the top five in the league. It's not crazy, and I really do believe this that if he had gotten to free agency next year, he may have gotten more on the open market, but he wanted to be here. The process I was told all along was pretty slow and um and it came around. To getting wrapped up before camp started today, because he went to Ron Rivera and he said, "I want to be here, but I want this wrapped up. And if it's not wrapped wrap, wrapped up by camp, then you know I'm not going to sign a, an extension. You know uh, during the season. And so Rivera was involved in helping get that thing wrapped up. I am happy for John Allen. This is you know over the course of many many years now where you've had immature teams and immature rosters led by immature coaching staffs led by a child owner for for all intents and purposes in terms of maturity level this is a culture-changing guy. But beyond that, Tommy, he's an excellent football player, and he's getting better, and he's entering his prime, and he wants to be here. You know, wanting to be here and being a culture-changer and a leader, that's all great, but you don't give him a top-five money deal because of that. You give him a top-five money deal because he's really good, and he is. I'm happy for him. I think it's the right thing for him. I think it's the right uh, right thing for the team.
2: I agree. You know, I hate to start off agreeing with everything Don't. you said.
1: Yeah, please.
2: But but you did. You, you hit it all. Everything. I mean, uh, he's an important anchor on that defense. He's certainly an important leader on the team. Uh, he is. Uh, a, he does bring a level of maturity to the organization. He's he's not a guy who who mouths off all the time. Uh, so when he does say something, you know it's important. Uh, and he's he's. He may I, look. I don't know. This I don't know if this is true or not, because I think when healthy, Matt Ioannidis is their best defensive lineman. But I think Jonathan Allen is probably the leader in that defensive unit.
1: Um, yeah, that, you're talking about interior defensive linemen. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're gonna find out. I mean, Matt Ioannidis back healthy. I mean, that could be another reason to be excited about this team. There are a lot of reasons to be excited. The other news. Um, worthy item was reported by Mike Garofalo um, earlier uh, this hour. And that is that the uh, football team has signed Logan Thomas to a three-year contract extension as well. So they're now in the business of trying to wrap these guys up before they get to free agency, which is smart. They really liked Lo- Logan Thomas. Um, he had one year left on, you know, a base salary of like $2.5 million somewhere in that neighborhood. I have no idea what the money is. It hasn't been reported, but I would assume that it's going to be in that you know five million to maybe seven million per year range. Maybe five, you know, within the five million six million dollar annual average range with some guaranteed money in there. But this is a position where they didn't have um, a lot of of players or depth um, at this point. Uh, he played very well, and I'll tell you what, Ryan Fitzpatrick loves throwing to his tight ends. He loves distributing the ball, um, but I thought Logan Thomas had a really good year last year, and a lot of what we heard early on in training camp is that the team really liked Logan Thomas, and they thought he was going to have a big year, and he did. He caught 72 passes, 670 yards, um, six touchdown uh, receptions, and um, he had a big year for for a guy that when he was signed, everybody was like, okay, we'll see how it works out. Uh, but Logan Thomas gets a three-year contract extension as well. Any thoughts you on know, that, or are you just uh, gonna, you're going to agree with me?
2: No, no, no. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, you know, Washington football, I don't know who in the front office or on the coaching staff said, let's take a chance on this guy, a former quarterback uh, who tried to make it as a quarterback – uh, and was making a position switch, but somebody somebody had the right instinct on this guy because he turned out to be a great addition for them, uh, 72 catches last year. And uh, a couple of people on social media, I don't recall who, pointed out that we just naturally assume it's, it's an easy thing to, like, switch a position, you know, just become a tight end if you can't play quarterback but uh, a lot of guys in the league have tried it and failed. You know, so I give Logan Thomas credit for being able to pull it off.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, we 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 don't see um it work out a lot. I don't think Tim Tebow is going to make it at tight end. I mean, he might. It's still possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, Logan Thomas was a quarterback in college. I, I it'll be interesting to see where his money can, comes in because remember Pete Hainer, their, their tight ends coach called him at the end of the year, early in the off season, one of the best six or seven tight ends in the, in the game. Um, you don't, when you're in a contract negotiation, you don't want your position coach admitting <laughs> that necessarily. And I don't know if I'd put him in that Look, there are a lot of great tight ends. This is, you know, sort of an era of great tight ends. I mean, Kittle and Kelsey, and obviously Gronk, although Gronk's on the downside of his career. And, you know, uh the the, the two guys that, that the Patriots signed in the offseason, Smith, John O. Smith, and and Hunter Henry are are big time talents. Darren Waller was phenomenal last year for the Raiders. There's some really, really good tight ends in the league and some emerging tight ends, but Logan Thomas is among, at 30 years old, you know, he's just sort of emerging. But, you know, that position, we've seen it. I mean, Jason Witten was playing last year at whatever age he was, uh, you know, different situation. Um, But I'm glad they re- uh, signed him too. Look, overall, your job as a football coaching staff and front office is when you identify young players that are talented and that you think can be a part of, of a winning organization and are people you want to be a part of the winning organization, you don't let them get to free agency. You lock them up before they get there so that there isn't the temptation of free agency, and then all of a sudden you end up in a franchise tag or loss situation. This franchise, you know, with some players locked them up. They locked up Ryan Kerrigan. If you recall, they locked up Jordan Reed when it seemed to make sense to lock up Jordan Reed, but they were unable to do with Brandon Sheriff and Kirk Cousins. And, um, but they did get John Allen done and certainly we're going to have over the next several off seasons, this countdown to training camp and extensions with a lot of really good young players. You know, the young players like Terry McLaurin on offense and certainly on defense, the entire D-line. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, uh, Deron Payne, and, you know, Ioannidis at some point will be, uh, you know, up for another extension. So when you've got that many players that you're thinking about extending, that's, I think, a good sign. You know, the and remember this too with respect to their cap. More likely than not, they're not gonna have eighteen million dollars of Brandon Sheriff on the books next year. That would right. be my guess. And the cap's gonna keep going up. A lot of you have said, well, if you spend that much on Allen, you're gonna lose pain. I don't think that's necessarily true. Um the cap's going up. There are players like Sheriff that are taking up a big portion of the cap right now that won't be a part of of that cap. Um uh allowance next year uh we'll, we'll see how it goes the increase in the cap will have a lot to do with it we know it took a step back after the year of pandemic continuing with the now, big yeah go ahead the,
2: the one thing the one thing is about the position is all the good teams have at least two really good tight ends you know and, and this league uh it seems like these days you need two so i mean washington does not have two
1: yeah, not every team has two – not every good team has two really good tight ends. Um, not every good team. No.
2: But a lot too.
1: Um, you know, Tampa last year had, you know um, – now O.J. Howard was hurt. So they had a veteran in Gronk who wasn't you know, Gronk anymore, and they had Cameron Brate. but they had great receivers. What you need is you just need a lot of really – you need multiple good pass catchers, whether they're tight ends or receivers. It's helpful if you've got two really good tight ends. It's helpful because now you're forced defensively to be, um, you know, to decide between nickel and base. See, uh, Tommy, the the way um, somebody explained this to me several years ago, a coach, he said the real advantage of having two tight ends on the field that can block and catch – is that you put the defense in, a, in an immediate quandary. If they go nickel and you've got two offense uh, two tight ends on the field that can block, you run the football six, success, successfully. If you stay in your base defense, now you've got matchup problems against two tight ends. And that's been um, so, you know the goal of many teams here over the last several years. if you can get two of them, but they're they're both really good at both things. They've got to be both good blockers and good pass catchers. You really put the defense um, into a bind in terms of you know how you play that uh, because you can still run the football if you've got tight ends on the field that can block against nickel defense. Anyway, uh, Aaron Rodgers is back. As we are sitting here doing this podcast, Aaron Rodgers' um, video being shot of him walking into Green Bay's building – this is what Andrew Brandt told me last week, Tommy. He said, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of voiding of the final year of his deal to make this thing happen. And that's essentially, if you believe the reporting at this point, that's what they did. They cut out that 2023 season and they sort of said at the end of next year, we will, you know, we're not going to use the franchise tag and we will trade you if you're still unhappy.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, does that, does that resolve it?
1: Yeah, it's resolved. He's back. Have you not been following the Aaron Rodgers story over the last twenty four hours?
2: Well, yeah, I know he was back, but th- does that mean he doesn't want to be traded anymore?
1: No, it means that he probably will get traded at the end. That this upcoming season, more likely than not, will be his last in Green Bay, unless all of a sudden, you know, Mark Murphy and Guttenkunst, the the GM. Uh, somehow convince him that they're much better guys, and that, that Aaron want, you know will will work with them beyond. Um, but then beyond, right. you know, there would be some sort of contract extension. So he plays this year, he gets traded at the end of this year, so the Packers still get something back for him, um, but they don't have his services in twenty twenty three. Okay,
2: so the, that means Washington football isn't going to chance get a chance to trade for him.
1: Yeah, they might, but what if Ryan Fitzpatrick knocks the cover off the ball or doesn't and they're not very good and Aaron Rodgers has no desire to come here um at the end of the year because it sounds like he'll have a say in where um he goes as well. Um by the way, the other story that came out yesterday uh after the podcast is the Deshaun Watson story, you know, Yesterday, they the, the Texans said they are open to trading Deshaun Watson. Today, another ten women, I guess, came forward, including two that may file criminal charges against him. So we've gone from you know twenty-two civil cases to potentially twenty-two civil cases or more, and maybe still a couple of of criminal um, complaints against Watson. Uh, he's untouchable at this point. Yes. You, you can't trade for him as much as you might like to. You can't trade for Deshaun Watson, right?
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, I mean, you'll be crucified. I mean, like, again, I mean, how many women are we talking about here? 30 now?
1: Um,. it's like between, I think, 24 and 30. Uh, You know, I'm getting mixed up with who came forward yesterday and how many of them are repeats versus how many of them are new. But there are now criminal, you know, complaints, whereas prior to yesterday it looked like this was mostly going to be resolved in the civil courts, you know, down the road. But, you know, the NFL also has not even interviewed him yet because – they can't until some of these uh, issues get resolved. They can investigate, um, but th- he hasn't been put on any exempt list yet, but he's he's more likely going to be put on an exempt list. I would imagine he's going to be put on an exempt list and not be able to play here early. He reported to camp. I think he's going to be suspended for a certain number of games. I think
2: games. he will be, too. I think he will be, too. So – I mean, if you had the opportunity to get him in a deal right now, you wouldn't trade for him, right?
1: The reporting on this is that the Texans have talked and had preliminary discussions with several teams who have done some of their own investigating. But the reporting right now from the likes of um, you know, Schefter and others at ESPN, is that there hasn't been a serious offer, one that Houston's been willing to accept. Before all of this started, we were talking three first-rounders and two-star players, or at least one-star player. You know, if, if it were Washington, it was like three first-rounders and Montez Sweat. Three first rounders in Chase Young, three first rounders in, you know, uh, uh, t- two seconds in and, and Matt Ioannidis. And I would have done anything to get Watson. Uh, anything. I would have moved anything to get him pretty much. Feel the same way about Rodgers. But right now, look, you, Neil pointed this out to me earlier, Neil and Rockville, our legal contributor. He said, no team's going to trade. Without a trade for Watson, without talking to Watson, and no attorney with a license is going to allow Watson to talk to any of these teams
2: you're right yeah that's, that's a good point so yeah i mean he's he's keep his mouth shut
1: unless unless Houston said we'll just take it will take one first rounder and you roll the dice on something like that. I mean it could be the all time deal, but um this situation continues to get crazier by, by the day with him because once Houston announced that they're willing to trade him and it reported to camp, then we had, you know, in addition to the 22 civil lawsuits, we get a, a couple of more criminal um, uh, allegations. Strange.
2: I mean, this is just stunning. It really is stunning
1: uh,
2: how these things kind of snowball. You know,
1: yeah, and
2: uh, how how this can go on with with the team being like clueless about any of this. I mean, they had to have known. Word must have gotten back. Somebody must have complained at some point to somebody on the team before any of this came out.
1: Yeah, I wonder, like everything, you know, now you look back, you know, not, not that now is the first time. I mean, these allegations now are, you know, multiple months. But when it first came out that he wanted to be traded, everybody kept talking and pointing to that guy Jack Easterby in the organization. And it was like, why wouldn't you get rid of, you know, the team chaplain rather than have uh, if, if he wants the guy out? Um, and you know, the relationship with, you know, everybody in the, in the organization and there's a new GM there as well. Um, but you know, the bottom line was, I think most people felt, look, dude, you just signed this deal nine months ago. You know, you can't ask for a trade nine months after you sign one of the biggest deals in, 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 uh, NFL history. Um, You know, why was he asking to get out? You know, why was Houston? I mean, obviously, if Houston knew something, Tommy, as you're suggesting, they should have traded him then. But then if they knew something, did the rest of the league know something? I, I don't think so. Because remember, early on, there were a lot of teams, it was reported that would be all in. On Deshaun Watson, but Houston wasn't going to trade him. So if they knew all this about Deshaun Watson, that's sort of um, a disconnect for me because if they knew it and felt like nobody else did, they they would have traded him.
2: I don't know if they knew all this, but they must have had an inkling that he had an issue like this. I mean, it just doesn't. You don't have this kind of situation without at least one or two women. Calling the team and complaining about this guy, or contacting the team and complaining about them, it had to have happened at some point.
1: People said uh, off of yesterday's you know news, and even now, somebody in this league, because of his talent, will trade for him. Philadelphia has been one of those teams um, mentioned. I am going to predict that he's not going to get traded, that teams are not going to take that risk. Even if they think it's, you know, a six-game suspension or even a year-long suspension, and it would be worth giving up, you know, multiple first-round picks and a player at this point, I think that there's too much going on here that a team more likely than not won't be able to find out about. I mean... You know th- th- these recent criminal complaints added to all of the civil complaints. That's a big leap. It, you can't give up if you're a team right now. Y- y- I mean, if if they took, um, if they took, you know, a first rounder, you know, and you were willing to throw away a first rounder on the hope that this thing gets resolved favorably, that's one thing. But you can't trade a significant portion of your future for a guy that potentially potentially could end up in jail you can't do that at this point no you
2: know and but but are we discounting at all the PR hit that a team would take for something like this
1: well that's why I said this morning there's no way Washington you know cross Washington off the list right You know, at this point, at this point, even if he's cleared of all of the criminal and the civil stuff gets settled and you never hear about what, you know, some of these women got, Washington will never, ever trade for Deshaun Watson. The old Washington, we'd say, yeah, even in the face of everything that they've gone through over the last year. But I don't think Washington, I think you can cross them off the Deshaun Watson list. They're not going there. No. But you know
2: the thing is, I, I you know, I mean my 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 instinct had would always be that no team would touch him because of the fallout they would get, particularly from like female fans and stuff like that. But I remain convinced now that if he played and they won, most of the female fans wouldn't care either.
1: I- I totally agree with that. I just don't think it would be this team. I think it might be another team as no, long as everything's... It
2: wouldn't be this team.
1: Yeah, it's not going to be this team. I think I don't think it's going to be any team right now. Let me make my my position clear. I think until the criminal stuff goes away, I don't think it's going to be any team. I think if it's all civil and it's all you know, there are no criminal charges and it's all allegations and they go to civil trial and it's planned for next year. And maybe there's some settlements. I think a team absolutely would trade for that talent. But, you know, if you're going to do that, you really do have to find out now what kind of person this is. Clearly, you got to be confident that, you know, this isn't a serial situation because that's a lot of that's a lot of massage therapists. That's a, that's, a, that's a desire for a lot of happy endings.
2: <laughs> um, I would know about that.
1: The there's another big story this morning I just want to touch on real quickly because it is the story of the morning I guess in sports for those that are following the Olympics. Simone Biles um is out of it was out of the team competition for a medical issue it First, they were talking about an injury, and now they're calling it a medical-related injury. Um, this was in the team women's USA Gymnastics. They ended up uh, getting silver. Um, Russia got gold uh, in this event. Um, the statement from USA Gymnastics was, Simone has withdrawn from the team final competition due to a medical issue. She will be assessed daily to determine medical clearance for future competitions. So there's a chance that she might not participate at all moving forward. She is, I mean, really the unquestioned, I guess, along with Katie Ledecky. And again, I'm not a big Olympics guy right now, but she certainly was, if not the biggest star of these Olympics, you know, one of the top two or 3 but Oh,
2: absolutely. You
1: know, she arrived at this thing and on social media Monday she posted something where she admitted that she felt the weight of the world was on her shoulders and that the Olympics were quote no joke, closed quote. So, I mean, this could be another example of an athlete sort of not being able to mentally deal with the pressure or deal with the responsibilities or whatever—that would be too bad. Um, she's quite the uh, the the Olympic star and personality, and I mean, this is a huge blow, huge blow to NBC. It is huge blow.
2: Ab- absolutely, I mean, there are people who don't care about sports know who Simone Biles is,
1: and NBC relies on these big women's gymnastics ratings during the olympics this is you know women's gyms gy, the women's gymnastics the tr- some of the track and field and some of the swimming but it's the women's gymnastics correct me if i'm wrong you might know more than i is the highest rated portion of an olympic two week summer typically
2: i think so i think it is just like uh figure skating is in the winter right in the winter olympics yeah I think so.
1: One more thing about the Olympics, um, because I didn't do this show with you yesterday. I I, I woke up Sunday morning hoping to watch the, the U.S. men's basketball team play France, and I turned on NBC, and there was like three-on-three basketball going on. Hey, have you watched any of the Olympics?
2: No, I haven't watched okay. a minute of it.
1: So, you know, I started trying to find, you know, there are like seven stations that have Olympic coverage and it's really hard to follow. And I said, I think on the podcast yesterday, I, I'm critical as to how difficult they make it on most people. Um, but at the same time, I also acknowledge it's, it's a logistical challenge. I mean, it really is to have all of these events and you know, all of these, uh, you know, games and, and, and events that people want to see and having multiple channels and then having Peacock, you know, as a distribution um, uh, ability as well. It's, I'm sure it's not easy, but it's really hard to sort of figure out what's going on when and where and how you can consume it. Anyway, to make a long story short, the men's basketball game live, you had to pay um, via Peacock. You had to pay their monthly premium of four ninety nine a month to get the men's basketball game live. It's the only, based on what I can tell, it's the only Olympic event or sport um, that NBC is making you pay for. They're making you pay to watch the men's Olympic basketball team live. Now the game was on later that day, tape delayed on NBC. So I'm, you know, it's not even the. Um, the amount. I'm not paying it. Um I, I have Xfinity. I get Peacock through Xfinity, but I don't get the Peacock premium through Xfinity. I gotta pay for that. I haven't paid for it. I'm surprised actually I had not paid for it because it includes a lot of things on the number one reason the Peacock channel launched, which was The office, Tommy, um, and all of the associated programming, including bloopers and, you know, um, uh, scenes, deleted scenes and all that stuff. But I did not pay for it. I'm not going to pay for it for this uh, men's Olympics team, Um, even though it's always one of my favorite portions of the Olympics to watch the U.S. play basketball, especially when it's not certain that they're going to win gold and it's not certain. So they, lost, no. so they lost to France the other day, and I wanted to mention this. I was listening to Fran Fraschilla, who has been a longtime ESPN college basketball guy, draft guy, with an expertise in international basketball. Fran Fraschilla was a coach for, for many years, and I was listening to him. I think he was on Mad Dog Show or the Mad Dog XM Sirius Station yesterday. And he got after Popovich a little bit. And I did too on the radio show yesterday um, for not having his team prepared to play against the French. And, Uh, you know, he thinks, um, you know, some of the, the sagging defenses, the, the true zone ability, uh, in international basketball. And I, I didn't think France played a ton of zone actually, um, if any at all, but they switched their man throughout the game and they sagged a little bit and they looked totally unprepared for it. And after the game, Popovich made some comments, comments that were sort of dismissive of the loss. He said, when you lose a game, you're not surprised, you're disappointed, I don't understand the word surprise. That sort of disses the French team, so to speak, as if we are supposed to beat them by 30 or something. That's a hell of a team. They've got NBA players, other talented players playing in Europe who've been together for a long time. I think it's a little bit of hubris if you think the Americans are supposed to just roll out the ball and win. You have to work for it, and for those 40 minutes, they played better than we did, closed quote. Now, let me mention that before that game, Tommy, he said that he, he had been scouting the French uh, team for two years in <laughs> yeah, anticipation I know. of this. I know. Um,
2: I mean, this is his job. This is his job to get them ready to play a team as competitive as as, as France was. Everything he said right there should not have been a surprise to him.
1: They were in these exhibition games, you know, I could tell they were not, you know, prepared, um, especially for true zone defense. And and by the way, they've got, you know, they've got Jay Wright on that staff. So they've got a college coach. And by the way, Jay Wright's a really good zone offensive coach team at Villanova. But anyway, who knows if, you know, the great, uh, you know, the great Popovich listens to anybody on the bench. Um, uh, by the way, he looks completely disheveled over there on the sideline. It looks like he hasn't shaved in 15 days and he's got a shirt untucked and he just looks like a mess. But let me just make one thing clear. You are supposed to beat France. You're a big favorite to beat France you should beat France. We all know they've got NBA-level players. Rudy Gobert's really good. Evan Fournier and Nick Batum are, you know, role players in the NBA. Those are your three NBA players. You have all NBA players, and most of them are stars on your team. And this notion that You know, like the world's caught up with the U.S. and you know you're 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 the ugly American if you assume the ball should, should just be rolled out and you should win. Bullshit. You know, there's nothing like jingoistic about thinking that the U.S. roster, made up of the players that it has, should roll through this Olympic field because it should. And to use it as an excuse, well, these other teams, they they're together forever. You know, they, they play together. They're they're much more of a team. Well, they certainly play like much more of a team because they were better coached the other day than the U.S. team was. But, you know, you mentioned the NBA players. They haven't been working out with the French team for, for years in anticipation or months. In, they've been playing in the NBA. Nick Batum and Rudy Gobert right. were deep into the playoffs. So, I, I just... This guy, to me, is insufferable and has been for years, and I'm not suggesting that he's not been a really good coach, but I am suggesting what Fran Fraschilla mentioned, and that is the other day his team looked totally unprepared for a team that he claims he scouted for two years and a team that talent-wise the U.S. is much better than. Not a little bit better than, much better than. I still think the US can win gold and might win gold. They certainly should win gold. Um yes, but they should. to suggest that like, you know, it's somehow ugly American to to diss the French because they've got NBA players and the rest of the world's really good too and we're not as good as we think we are. You know, you can be patriotic uh, you know, uh pop you, you can be patriotic and, by the way, be, and be realistic without being obnoxious. You guys are the best team by miles. You have the most talent by miles. It's not even close. Well, he, sees, he sees what's coming.
2: I mean, he, look, nobody, after Krzyzewski's success coaching the Olympic team, nobody wants to be the guy to basically fail following that. Because nobody will forget it. Nobody forgets, uh, as great as we love the coach, John Thompson, that his team lost.
1: The college players. In, in,
2: you know, it, right, yeah. in, in, in the Olympics. And people will remember that because the expectation is, based on reality, that the best players in the world are here in the United States, and they'll win the gold medal. You so he already c- sees a blemish. on on his pretty impeccable resume as as a basketball coach.
1: Yeah. Well, yes. I don't think he sort of feels the pressure of that, though. It doesn't seem like he's that moved um, or will be that impacted if they lose because he'll chalk it up to, you know, world greatness. Like, you can give... The opponent, like the French or anybody else they lost to in the run up to the Olympics, you can give them credit and also say, We have to be much better because we got a lot more talent. And we should win these games. Like, you know, you don't have to act like you're an underdog. You know, you're not. You're a heavy favorite. And the French team was good and they got a little bit lucky at the end. You know, the U.S. could have easily won that game, but it was his reaction that to me was typical pop off putting. Like, you know, it's okay, it's okay to say we're really good at basketball and we're better than the rest of the world. And the rest of the world's really good too. And the French team's really good. But we have uh, the best team and we, you know, he doesn't need to say that, but he doesn't need to knock down his own team and, and uplift everybody else to make himself look good. That team wasn't prepared. They'll kill Iran. They're a 39 and a half point favorite over Iran. But um, I don't know. There's something about him that just has always rubbed me the wrong way from those very sarcastic, sometimes antagonistic, um and and condescending end of quarter, end of half interviews with whomever it was out on the floor. Right. Um, he's just way too fond of himself. And he's been a great coach and he's won a shitload. Um, but you can't lose the gold with this team. You, you, you just can't. Yeah. And and they probably won't. Probably won't. All right. Uh, Wasn't
2: Larry Brown the coach in 2004? At yeah, when
1: they lost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But when Larry they-
2: Brown's resume is so all over the place that no one really remembers
1: <laughs> that. <laughs> right. He's I mean, been Larry so Brown's resume
2: is like a bumper car ride. So nobody remembers that. But Popovich loses the gold people will, will never forget it
1: where is larry brown um uh right now isn't wasn't he coaching in I think italy he's an
2: assistant coach no well maybe he is but i think he's he's an assistant coach
1: he is on somebody memphis staff who just memphis got hired. memphis he's in memphis there, but he was there in Tor- he was in torino um and said it was an absolute joke with the smoke haze in the building and everything else (laughs) and then you know he was at smu for a few years too god damn how old is he he's got to be 80 He he's 80 he's 80 years old exactly what a resume what a resume okay uh we will get to washington football conversation right after
0: these words from a few of our sponsors
1: Training camp underway uh, today in Richmond for the Washington football team. Uh, by the way, uh, just a reminder, subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't, doesn't cost you anything. It helps us. Rate us and review us where you can. And tomorrow morning on the radio show on the Team 980 at 8 a.m., Ron Rivera will be my guest. So tune in for that. You can listen to it on the Team 980 or the Team980.com or the Odyssey App, uh, I you know, Tommy, I think this is a training camp that is different than the last several. I mean, last year was obviously weird because it was not really an off season, um, but it was, you know, the first year of Ron Rivera. But there was so much going on at the time, you know, it was the sexual harassment, it was the name change, it was the you know, Alex Smith story, and then eventually the coach got cancer, etc. Um, But I do think that this season, and I know we've talked about it before, but now that we're finally here, I do think that the expectations for this team from the fan base, both the active fan base and maybe the passive fan base, are as high as they've been in a long time. Do you think it's justified?
2: I would agree with that, and I think it's justified because of presence of the new coach and the new front office Uh, you know I mean it's always justified I mean when you have a coach who hasn't failed here yet uh, there's always going to be a level of excitement especially a coach with an NFL resume that includes some level of success along with a lot of failure still but uh, so yeah I think it's justified I mean last year was, uh, you know, I think, you know, the idea that they, they managed to win seven games and get to the playoffs probably pumps fans up a little bit. But I still think it, they're almost like in brand new mode with Ron Rivera, some some of the fan base. I mean, this is, I mean, like you just said, last year was such an aberration in so many ways. This is the first real training camp under the new coach. So, yeah, it's, it's, It's always justified, almost always justified when you have a new hire, brand new people coming in, uh, even though this has happened time and time and time and time again, and it's failed. It's still, I understand why fans would be excited about the new regime, the new coach, and uh, the new faces on the team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, um, I feel like we've been repetitive, but that's what happens this time of year. Um, but I, I do think, and I totally get why expectations are increased compared to previous years. While, uh, I I get it while, why some of you are, you know, excited. I put out a poll this morning. Um, we have to do a Twitter poll every morning on the radio show. You can you know, vote if you want uh, at Kevin Sheehan DC on Twitter. And and essentially I just said, look, describe your feelings or your expectations about the upcoming season. And I gave four options. You know, you're excited because you think it's a very good team. You're cautiously optimistic. You think it's a year or two away or you don't care. Um, Cautiously optimistic's got 60% of the vote. That doesn't surprise me necessarily because I think that even the most optimistic Fan who's super excited about, you know, the talent on defense, which there is talent on defense, some of the young talent on offense, which there is, the um, expertise and the competence level of a coaching staff uh, in year two. um, It's so much more than it used to be. A quarterback upgrade, no matter what you think of Ryan Fitzpatrick, yes. so at the very least, you're, like, cautiously optimistic that they are on the rise. Now, what that means in terms of wins and and position in, in the standings and playoffs, et cetera, you know, there's probably a big disparity among um, many of you. But I am certainly cautiously optimistic that the football operation is on the right track here. Now, you know, we've done this before where we get to – um, you know, this this stage of just comparing it to what it used to be. Like, I remember when Vinny Serato was finally hired and they hired Mike Shanahan and Bruce Allen, you know, I was, and many people were like so excited, but it's just because, you know, anything would have looked better than what they had had before with Jim Zorn and Vinny Serato. And so, Um, I, but, but, but it's more than that this time, you know, it's more than just Mike Shanahan. It's more than just, well, they may have found their quarterback with RG three or while they may have found their quarterback with Kirk cousins. This is a more well, well well-rounded, um, roster than it's ever been. Um, it still has a big question mark on the most important position on the field, which is why you can't go all in and say this is a legitimate, you know, division champion, maybe wins a playoff game or two kind of team. You can't do that when you're not, you know, 100% sure that you've got, you know, the quarterback, you know, it, it may be much improved from where it was last year, but if it's Ryan Fitzpatrick the way he's been throughout his career, you're going to have some heartbreaking moments during the season. Um, yes. But it's a, it's a more well-rounded football roster than it's really almost ever been or been in a long, long time. It's a better coaching staff. And for the moment, organizationally, there seems to be a bit of stability as it relates to the football operation compared to years past that doesn't mean it will well, continue
2: it is, it's certainly not a better coaching staff than when mike shatahan was here
1: no i would agree with you on that but okay. I'm, I'm comparing it to the six years prior right which was the jay yes. gruden and all of those you know one bad yes. defensive coordinator after another
2: i agree i agree and you know what uh i agree with you on the roster and I know this is kind of ridiculous to say this about Mike Shanahan, and I'm probably totally wrong about it. But I think he underestimated how bad the personnel was uh, when he first came here in 2010. I mean, it was a really bad, bad, bad roster he was inheriting. No doubt. And Ron Rivera inherited uh, a good defensive, a good defensive roster with at least one pretty good offensive player in Terry McLaurin. Uh, So, yeah, I think it it, it has progressed since then to a far more well-rounded roster. Uh, You know, here's something I was thinking about, and this hit me with the Olympics, and this is why I could probably never be a fan anymore. I can't separate the reality from the fantasy anymore. I'm not capable of it. You know, compartmentalizing what you know as opposed to what you want to believe.
1: Give me an example. I
2: can't do that anymore. Well, I mean, I can't enjoy the Olympics because I know what a con game and a fraud it is. I know the corruption that goes on behind the scenes. I know, I know the damage it causes as an event to the places that host it, and I can't separate that from the from the athletes' performances anymore. I can't do that, you okay. know. And, and so, so, with Washington football, when we talk about this all the time, the idea is you have to separate what you know about the owner and his track record, the the Surgeon General's warning, from the the hope to be optimistic that this could be different. Well, I, I'm not capable of that anymore. I can't
1: do it. Yeah, it's just that this moment um, in time is perhaps a unique moment in time where he is at his most vulnerable and maybe just sort of – recovering on the ropes for a little while after the last year. Now, the unfortunate part of that is there wasn't, you know, a real reprimand of anything um, uh, that happened here previously. uh, And he almost felt like he won, um, like there was some sense that he won this whole Beth Wilkinson investigation. But whatever. I I understand. And I have tried to explain to... Um, everybody that listens and friends of mine, that while you know, I have to compartmentalize here because, like we've said before, like, what's the point? Like, if you're going to yes, it, exactly, if, if you're going to just say, well, it's never going to work as long as he owns the team, which may be true, then what's the point of even paying attention and having. You know, uh, being a uh, you know paying attention to the team or even having a job like the one I have, where you've got to talk <laughs> like it's much more fun to talk about the games and the team and the players than it is the yeah. other stuff, and to treat it as sort of a one-off every season maybe this will be the season that they actually, you know, go 9 and 7 or in this particular case 10 and 7 and win a playoff game for the first time in 2005. Uh, overall though, like the football operation itself, if you can for a moment separate the fact that Snyder still owns the team, is in one of the healthiest positions it's been in in a long time. It's got the most well-rounded roster that it has had. It's got real depth, it's got a good salary cap position. Um, it has um, an intri- a very very intriguing defensive core that looks like it could produce not only one but maybe two or three great NFL defensive stars, you know, including maybe the best defensive player in the game at some point. Offensively, you've added some pieces. Um, you still have the question at quarterback. And, you know, I would almost say look, th- I think they could go nine and eight this year and be in the playoff hunt. You know, I, I think 10 is sort of an outlier um, until I know exactly what they have at quarterback. Um, but I think that they can get to Thanksgiving and still be in the mix. You know, at five and five or six and four or you know four and six in a bad division. Who knows? With still a lot of their division games left. Remember, the the, the schedule this year lays out in such an odd way. They play five of their six division games over the final five games of the season. They have Dallas, Philly, Dallas, Philly, New York to end the season. You get more than three months that pass between their first division game and their second division game this year. Wow. That's crazy. But um, I, 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 I think until we know um, what they have at quarterback, not just for this year but in the future, you have to dial back expectations that reach like late January and certainly early February. It's just not realistic to expect them to be a Super Bowl contender or an NFC championship contender unless you know you have one of those guys, at quarterback, and we don't know that right now. But they could have, over the next few years, a big-time defense with two or three players that are pro bowlers on defense and maybe the defensive MVP at some point over the next two to three years. And that's really encouraging overall. Um, I I wanted to mention um, one player in particular because I talked about this guy. I think, you know, when training camp begins, there's always like a guy. I try to focus in on one or two guys that I think um, I have a sense that the coaching staff really believes will break out to a certain degree this year. And maybe the fan base isn't thinking about that player. And my player is Kalik Hudson, number 47, Cooley's old number. He played a lot of snaps at the end of last year for a guy who was primarily a special teams player. He played 50% of the snaps um, in the game against Seattle late in the year. He is high motor, high energy, can really run and can really hit. They loved him on special teams. They singled him out much uh, is, uh, a few times last year. It's a position that doesn't have necessarily a lot of, uh, of the depth that other positions have. Um, and I think that that forty-seven Khalid Hudson is going to be a significant contributor on this team um, this year. And overall, I find the linebacker position in particular one of the more intriguing. Because, and I will ask Ron Rivera this: um, they've got to become a better run-stopping defensive team than they were last year. For those of you that think that this was a great defense, and statistically, it measured out as like you know top four or five. That's bullshit. It wasn't a great defense. They feasted on some bad offensive teams and some backup quarterbacks, which raised their quantitative statistical profile and ranking. This is a defense that was way too streaky and inconsistent against the run. And unless they're great against the run, they're not a great defense. Remember Ron Rivera's line when he got hired, we're going to stop the run on the way to the quarterback. Well, they got to the quarterback and they generated a lot of pressure, but in key moments they did not stop the run. They've got to become a better run-stopping team in 2021. And the key to that is, did they improve at linebacker with the addition of Jamin Davis? Um, and maybe, maybe we saw at the end of last year the emergence of a guy like Khalil Hudson. That's going to be crucial. The secondary as well, you know, they play a lot of nickel. Their nickel defense is almost their base defense. They've got that Buffalo nickel position with Cam Curl. Collins will play it. Khalil Hudson might play it, um, you know, at times. But um, I think one of the real keys to this year beyond the obvious, which is quarterback, is Is this defense capable of being a great run-stopping team? If they are, then they may raise their level to elite, to really like legitimately top three or four. And that's going to keep them, Tommy, in every game. It's going to give them a chance, even against the schedule they're playing, to be a really uh, competitive football team.
2: You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's compartmentalizing right there. Yes, it was. Absolutely.
1: What would you suggest? That's a classic case of it. It, it, it is no, I'm, and I'm, I'm. No, I
2: agree. Like I'm, I said, I think you have to if you're a fan. You well,
1: have to do it. You have to if you're a sports talk show host in Washington D.C. Because what are you going to do? Come well, I don't on, know air. if you do. What are you going to do? Come on the air every day and say, oh, "That's great." You know, Chase Young's awesome. Montez Sweat's great, but Dan Snyder still owns the team. Let's talk. You know, let's talk hockey in August and September. <laughs> Uh, no, that's not going to work. And you know, like we've always said, people still, even if they don't believe that this team will ever amount to anything as long as Dan Snyder owns a team, people still love football and people still love watching football. Like there's no close second. Yes. And so do I. Yeah,
2: you're right. It's the, sa- it's the safety net that has protected the owner and still made him a rich man in spite of himself. Uh, when it comes to the football team. I think there's also going to be, and this is just a general observation, more excitement this year because people are desperate to be excited after going through COVID. You know, I mean, they want to feel excited. They want to feel optimistic. I think I'd be shocked if they don't have a good home crowd for their first home game.
1: I agree. What about you? I, I think that, you know, I don't think it'll be a sellout. But I think yeah. that they will have one of the more pro home team crowds um, that they've had in a long time. Obviously, last year, no crowds. Um, 2019 right. and 2018, even when they got up to the good start, it's still, I mean, you know, the game that Alex Smith got injured in when they were 6-3 and three against Houston wasn't anywhere near um, a sellout. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you and you know, they have the benefit here of starting with two home games in September, you know, uh, against the Chargers who won't bring a big opponent's fan base into the stadium. Um, and then they have the Giants on Thursday night. So you do have um, you do have that. Um, anyway, uh, you want to get to the Nats and that devastating loss last night and the day before. And what they're going to do next. I want you to tell us what they're going to do next. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. A couple more things and we'll be done for the day. First of all, before we get to the Nats and and another topic that we're going to address here, um, I just wanted to mention that Nikki Javala just uh, posted, Nikki covers the team, the Washington football team for The Post. Um, She she just reported that as of July 26th, which is yesterday, Washington still had the lowest player vax rate in the NFL, with 60% having received at least one dose per source. Indy is the second lowest at 63%. Overall, nearly 84% of the NFL players are at least partially vaccinated. So Washington, lowest vaccination rate right now, or as of yesterday, in the NFL, um, with 60% having received at least one dose.
2: Well, that's, you know, for anyone with a brain, that's got to be very disappointing. If you don't recognize the scope of what that does to the team, what that potentially can do to your team, then, you know, then, you know, you'll you'll. You'll buy anything this team does. Then you'll yeah. buy anything they do. No matter what they do, they can't do anything wrong. If you don't understand that, and how this hurts the team,
1: yeah. Let's see where it is when you know they get to playing games where they're at risk. Um, but I want to make one thing clear in Nikki's tweet: sixty percent having received at least one dose. That means forty percent haven't had at least one dose. So 40% as of now have been anti-vaccination. And that's a big percentage of of uh, of a football team in the NFL. And by the way, that's a big percentage of our area. You know, there are areas of this country where vaccination rates are much higher and there are vaccination rates in states that are much lower. This is one of the areas of the country where you know, uh, the the vaccination rates are high. And by the way, yes. that is associated typically with a very high education rate um, in our area. Uh, but anyway, um, I digress. Uh, I just wanted to give okay. that information. Um, I watched the Nats game. By the way, I went to the Nats-Orioles game Saturday night. Did I tell you that? I forget if I told you that or not.
2: No, you didn't.
1: Yeah, I was up in Baltimore um, with one of my sons, and it was sort of a last-minute uh decision and and I'll tell you why it was a a last minute decision it's because I do love Camden Yards I haven't been to Camden Yards in like three or four I think the last time I was at Camden Yards is when we did an opening day for the station because we carried the Orioles so that may have been three years ago four years ago something like that but I love Camden Much,
2: much longer than that
1: well no Cooley and I did one Oh okay. Um and and I had to be up there for an opening day even though I wasn't doing a show one of those years because we all had to be up there. But anyway, uh I I love Camden Yards. It was a beautiful day Saturday and Saturday evening. It was not hot and it wasn't humid. But really Tommy, you know what I thought? I thought that there would be a small crowd. And I thought it would be easy to get tickets, easy to park. We could stay for five, six innings, leave if we wanted to. Do you know it was the largest crowd at Camden Yards in two years Saturday night? Well, and, it must have been a giveaway. Uh, well, it was Jim Palmer bobblehead night. There you go. Which I that's be- why it was the largest crowd. Well, it's also because they were playing the Nats, and so you had a lot of no, people. No,
2: no, no. Trust me, the Jim. Gym- <laughs> Palmer bobblehead was the game-changer for that crowd.
1: Okay. Um, I got one, and I'm putting it up here in the studio and I'm, uh, for you. Uh, actually, you know, in the process of this move, I've got a couple of things that I've found. That one of these, the next time we get together – um in person you're going to love some of the things that i found um as we okay. started to move and i have bo- had boxes up in the attic of various sports related things and various newspapers old newspapers i was a collector of old newspapers and i have a huge box I, used to be too. I have a huge box of old newspapers and i thought about throwing them out and then i decided not to also i had a lot of unopened football cards which i was immediately I was like, do I open these or do I leave them unopened? And I got really good advice about leaving them um, unopened. So anyway, I, I I went to the game and it was really crowded. It wasn't a sellout, but it was really crowded and uh, ran into a couple of people who really enjoy the podcast. So for um, one of the guys, Ryan came up, talked to me for a while. Uh, Joe came up, talked to me for a while. Joe really loved the podcast and was talking about several recent uh, episodes of the podcast. But I went and saw the Nats. They lost that game. They lost on a walk-off Sunday night. And then last night, my God, poor Brad Hand can't get anybody out. He, uh, with a 5-3 lead, um, gives up a three-run homer um, after a wild pitch, a walk, and a three-run shot to Andrew McCutcheon. they've lost nine, they've lost five in a row. they're nine below, uh, below 500 and eight and a half out. And I would assume, tell me um, they're going to be big-time sellers here over the next 72 hours.
2: I think that's a reasonable assumption at this point. Uh, the one that will hurt will be Max Scherzer.: yep. I mean that's the one that's going to, even though he's a rental. 'Cause you know, I mean he he's only under contract for the rest of this season. They that's still probably the one that would bring the most return. I don't think they're gonna be trading Trey Turner, who will be a free agent not next year, but the year after they
1: should not trade Trey Turner. Turner of course and, not. Turner and Soto obviously are the untouchables. But yeah, I know that. But but let's remember,
2: uh I mean this this team has not signed its young players. Right. Except for Strasburg. They've let them go. You know, so, no, I don't think they're going to trade Turner because I don't think... Remember The learners at the last minute, Rizzo was all set to trade Bryce Harper in uh, July of the trading deadline. It is last year. And the Lerner said no. I know. The Lerner's backed out at the last minute. So they're not going to trade Turner uh, at this point. But, you know, Scherzer, I mean, you know... He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year anyway. If you haven't signed him to a contract extension at this point, uh, you want to try to get something for him. If you wanted to bring him back, although that never seems to happen, you could bring him back You know, when, when, when free agency starts. But it's a shame because he's become one of the most important athletes in Washington sports. And it will be a shame to say goodbye to him if that's the case.
1: It really will. Um, I'm just reading Jeff Passan right now who suggests uh, or, or reports that the Nats have shown a willingness to move Trey Turner. Um, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, it would. Um, I mean, in terms of the teams that's, that uh, Scherzer would go to, it looks like Tampa and any playoff contender obviously is going to be very interested uh so no, let me
2: just point out yeah. something when in reporting for this uh heyman people general managers talk every day about players on their roster and possible trades, and that doesn't necessarily always mean anything, in other words, like Mike Rizzo could have gotten calls from six general managers saying you know uh." You know we're interested in Trey Turner, and Rizzo's going to say, "Well, what are you offering?" Right. I mean, that's natural. That happens all the time. Sure. That doesn't mean they're going to trade Trey Turner.
1: Uh. Well, look, we're going to know here in the next forty-eight to seventy-two hours. But uh, your guess is Max Scherzer's gone, and what? Maybe Hudson too.
2: Uh. Yeah. Maybe Josh Bell. Uh. Josh Harrison. Uh I mean, who would want you know, Brad Hand at other... this point? Yeah, I know, but uh you know Daniel Hudson probably maybe. So, uh I mean, but the only one that will, that will hurt Nats fans is is uh Scherzer. I mean, you know, I mean, behind Alex Ovechkin, I think he's become the most important athlete in this city.
1: Um Let's finish with what you wanted to talk about that you mentioned during the break.
2: Okay, uh, there are some reports that Simone Biles, who who uh, declined to uh, compete in the team uh, gymnastics competition finals, uh, for some kind of uh, injury that has been de- de- that has been deemed not physical, so everyone assuming it, it, it's it's some kind of mental issue with her, she may not compete in the rest of the Olympics. Uh, there's been speculation that that may happen. And people who, who cover the Olympics, cover gymnastics, say that she has had a tremendous burden on her carrying the, the fate of the United States Olympics for, for probably five, six years now. And it's been tremendous pressure for her. And people who are smarter about this than me have talked about that and have expressed sympathy for her situation. And that's fine. But she's 24 years old. She's not a 17-year-old competing. Uh, And I'm just wondering, will we now, if if we're changing the way we think about this, if a 24-year-old quarterback sitting on an NFL bench in the fourth quarter says, I can't go out there, I I don't I I I'm frozen. I can't do it. I have too much pressure on me. I can't go out there and do it. What would be the sympathy and what would be the pushback on that?
1: Uh, there wouldn't be any. Um, I th- I think there are degrees of sort of mental um, stress. You know, there is what Simone Biles is saying, and you know we're we're picking up on more of this as it comes out, and it's coming out as we're doing this podcast from the very beginning. Um, you know, she says she was afraid she'd be injured if she continued to 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 compete in a rattled state of mind. She's been fighting the the pressure demons. Um there's a quote here, hold on for one second, let me pull it up. Um that she needs to put her mental health first. I didn't want to go into any of the other events, second guessing myself. I just wasn't in the right headspace for this um, I think that there, if I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not, you know, um, a mental health therapist, but someone who is, you know, been diagnosed with mental health issues related to say, you know, uh, anxiety issues, depression, which is obviously very serious, Um, things like, you know, OCD and panic disorders and all of these other things. I can't even begin to list them. But, you know, somebody who's really been diagnosed as suffering from a mental health illness, I think there should be plenty of compassion for and plenty of leeway given. Um, I don't know that she has said that and you know Osaka didn't necessarily say that either Osaka just said right. that she felt the pressure of these press conferences and the negati- negativity towards her as something that was impacting her game um to answer your question of course the 24 year old quarterback You know, the the, the quarterback that's two years, three years removed from playing college football is not going to be given that much sympathy if there isn't a true, like, mental health illness diagnosis that comes along with the announcement. You know, Kevin Love suffers from anxiety, depression, and panic attack um, uh, disorder. You know, and I think there was some compassion for him. DeMar DeRozan also was diagnosed with some of that. And they were, you know, they're veteran players in the league. And I think that there was, you know, an appropriate amount of compassion for those players. But if a player player came out and just said too much pressure... Oh, the football player would be treated much differently than Simone Biles.
2: Yeah. And let's take a 21-year-old college quarterback.
1: Much different than Simone Biles. Thing. Much different. Yeah. So,
2: and that, that doesn't seem fair.
1: Um, it might not be fair, but, you know, let's be candid here. Um, a young female athlete... Um, in an individual sport that is a team sport in the Olympics, whatever, but it's primarily sort of an individual thing, um, is perceived to be, whether true or not, and it may not be true, more fragile. And so if you are attacking that person, you come off as, you know, a bit too um, harsh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A football player I would agree. a football player isn't perceived in that way. I will tell you what they we
2: seeing maybe we're seeing a change
1: here. A change. Well, I mean we've had professional athletes admit that they suffer from mental uh you know health issues. But that's
2: not No, I mean like Kevin Love sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter. When his coach tells him he needs to go in the game and he says I can't coach.
1: Well, he did. I'm, I mean, I'm, during a game, he he had to leave the arena. He had he had a panic attack or he had an anxiety uh thing. That was a real thing. He got uh, there there was another story about Kevin Love being terrified and going into, you know, a, having a real issue on a flight. Um the, you know, I I I
2: understand that.
1: Yeah. He, this, I mean,
2: situation...
1: I pulled up the story. Uh, I, I just pulled up the story on Love, because um, just before the 2018 NBA All-Star Game, Toronto Raptors guard De- DeMar DeRozan revealed via tweet that he had been struggling with depression. In a recent interview with TNT analyst David Aldridge, DeRozan explained how support from fans and others around the world have helped encourage him since disclosing his struggle. Um, in the Players' Tribune, and this would have been dated... I don't have the date on this. Um, but it was I think last year. In an essay on the in the Player's Tribune, Cleveland Cavaliers All-Star forward maybe even 2 years ago, Kevin Love disclosed that he suffered a panic attack earlier this season during a game. In the piece which is in, which is titled Everyone is Going Through Something, Love explained that he suffered a panic a panic attack on November 5th during the Cavs 117-115 home loss to the Hawks. Um According to the Associated Press recap of the game, Love left the game in the third quarter with an illness, and the team announced that Love, who had four points and four rebounds in 19 minutes, was treated and released. He said I was winded within the first few possessions. That was strange, and my game was just off. I played fifteen minutes in the first half, made one basket and two free throws. After halftime, it all hit the fan. Coach Lou called a timeout in the third quarter. When I got to the bench, I felt my heart racing faster than usual. Then I was having trouble catching my breath. It's hard to describe. Everything was spinning, like my brain was trying to climb out of my head. The air felt thick and heavy. My mouth was like chalk. I remember our assistant coach yelling something about a defensive set. I nodded, but I didn't hear much of what he said. By that point, I was freaking out. When I got up to walk out of the huddle, I knew I couldn't re-enter the game, like literally couldn't do it physically. Coach Lou came up to me. I think he could sense something was wrong. I blurted something like, I'll be right back, and I was and I ran back to the locker room. He said, I felt like my body was trying to say, You're going to die. I ended up on the floor in the training room lying on my back trying to get enough air to breathe. The next part was a blur. You know, these are all symptoms of panic attack, according to the Cleveland right. Clinic. And so this was this is a diagnosed mental, you know, health yes. illness.
2: I understand that. Right. I understand that. That was a November game that no one was paying attention yeah, I to. I mean, Simone Biles' situation... Is the fourth quarter of a playoff game. Yeah. A a deciding game. Mm-hmm. Everyone's gonna notice it. And I just think that if there's sympathy for her, and it, it all it all may be warranted, people much more informed about this, you know, are expressing their support for her. Uh then you have to do the same thing if if it happens to a, a player in a competitive situation in in college or professional sports.
1: If um if there's like a cover of if she's on the like the cover of some big time magazine tomorrow, you're gonna tweet it out and say, Looks like she's not feeling the pressure as much as she was before. I forget all what, I, I forget what uh, you're
2: for – only if she uses it for her own purposes. Well, she's holding like a, she's, somebody
1: else did. She, she she just held a press conference. I read to you some of the quotes. We don't have the whole gist of right. it. I look.
2: Look, I'm, it, I I understand. I I believe her. I'm sympathetic to her. I'm just saying that if this is uh,
1: if this is an acceptable uh,
2: reaction, then it's got to be acceptable to everybody who faces this.
1: You know, if it's. I mean, I'm, I'm tr- I, I, I don't want to just draw like a hard line that says diagnosed mental health illness or not. And if it's not, then, you know, uh, you know, you're going to have to tough it out. You know, you committed to this thing. You're part of a team. You're going to have to tough it out no matter how much pressure there is on you. But on some level, I sort of feel that way. I just hate feeling that way towards a young female athlete. But I shouldn't feel any differently. But we don't know what it is with her. But my point is, if, if we all of a sudden get into this situation where athletes start saying, you know, I, there's just too much pressure. I couldn't deal with it, so I left the team. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. We, everybody in life has pressures you know, people, people go into work every day feeling the pressure of performing, you know, and when you're part of a company or you're part of a team, unless there is a legitimate, I mean legitimate issue, physical or mental, and there could be a lot of the time, I don't know, man, sorry, you know, this is, you know, adversity facing, this is part of, you know, maturing as a human being, you know, you, you can't go around it, sometimes you got to go right through it. It's the only let's way. make it
2: clear, you're, you're not talking about Simone Biles.
1: I'm not talking about Simone Biles because I, know I don't that. know which, if she has some sort right. of actual mental health illness. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm, I know that. I'm, I'm, just, made, I'm okay. just clearing
2: it up. Yeah. Just so there's no confusion for people out there. And neither am I in a situation like that. Right. But uh, you know, there was just a story about a strike that was settled by Frito-Lay, uh... Because some of its workers were striking about working conditions that included an eighty-four-hour work week, that's pressure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, there are degrees of pressure, and by the way, it's a very subjective thing. But yeah, yeah, I mean, look, this gets into the uh, a long conversation that I know many of you out there as parents have had, and you know about this generation and their ability to handle adversity, their level of accountability, their level of responsibility. I think about that a lot and I sometimes wonder if it's my fault, you know, if it's our fault. You know, Tommy and I've talked about this and you know, I I had a job when I was 13 years old. Like it, sorry, you got to get out, you got to work. It's summer. And, you know, uh, and I always had a job and I tried to do that with my three boys, not at 13 necessarily, but my oldest had a job, you know, working, you know, as a 15 year old and was, and I said every summer, you got to have a job, you got to have responsibility. You got to learn what it's, you know, what it is to have people, not your parents, but people, other people relying on you, you know, and, and that's like an important thing, I think. And I, I don't know how many. You know, I wasn't able to do it with all of my boys. You know, I'll, 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 you know every every kid's different. Every kid is completely different. Yes. But Yes, they are. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know, man. I don't have any of the answers, that's for sure. I hope she's okay. But if it's one of those things where it's just like the pressure and the, well, yeah, because you're great. And by the way, you're making a fortune. Or if, if you haven't already, you're on the verge of making a fortune because of this and, There's a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure that comes with it. But, again, to be clear, if there's a a mental health illness here, um, she's got to just focus on fixing that. None of the other stuff matters. I agree. Do you know, Tommy, that the number one – somebody may correct me if I'm wrong, but I read this recently – that the number one reason, um, the number one cause of suicide, teenage suicide – Is social media shaming now? Um, especially for girls. I don't know if that, if it's number one for boys, but somebody may correct me if I'm wrong, but I read something recently that, you know, um, Teenage suicide has gone up significantly over, you know, you know, several years, if not, you know, decades at this point. I, I don't know what the numbers are on that. But now with social media, the number one reason for teenage suicide in girls, I, I, maybe boys too, is social media shaming. I mean, I, it's unbelievable to me. I believe it. Well, because I do so believe
2: social it. media, yeah, it's so important. It's, generation
1: and and it, it's it, their
2: wife was,
1: and it's so cruel, yeah. And you know, yes, it's so important to them, and they're unable, unfortunately, to handle um, that. I don't have any of the answers. Are we done for the day? Yes, we are. Boys, I got a beach to go to. Go to the beach, uh, take care of that cold. I'm back tomorrow.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium, it's all you hear about, but why?